I am Doug Friedman. And I am Meredith Levy. And this is Your Mental Breakdown. The podcast. For your listening and listening pleasure. (laughs) That's funny. I don't know. Is there anything else? For your auditory pleasure. Auditory pleasure. Has anybody done the update on their phone? Have you done it? I have. Yeah. You know what makes me so angry is that this fucking clock, I'm holding it up to Doug, will not get any smaller. There's no way to change it. You can change the font. You can change the style of it and the color. You can't change the size. Right. I do not ever need to see the time that big in my face. Really? Yeah. Is that because it's a constant reminder that you're late? (laughs) No, it's a constant reminder of what time it is. Right. Which is what normal people use to make sure they're on time for things. (laughs) I know, but I have a watch. And also, it's just huge. Like, I don't need that. But have you tried the unsend? No. You can unsend a text message. Oh, yeah. I heard about that. I don't know. I practiced it with my sister. Yeah, I practiced it with my sister, but I just don't know how long you have. I guess it's before the person reads it. Really? Yeah. Huh. <laughs> uh-huh. How you doing, Mayor? You just got a... I got a booster shot. My arm hurts. Aw. Yeah, but I mean, you got it today and you're doing this. So you're, you're feeling all right. I am. And CVS gave me a, a Band-Aid with a heart on it, so... Uh, I know it's cute. Uh, I know. I saw that. I thought it was a blood mark. I was really worried for a second. No. Yeah, I did. And uh, we'll see how the rest of the night goes. I'm sure I'm going to be fine. I'll be fine. How are you? I'm doing pretty, I'm pretty, pretty. Um, I'm doing pretty. I'm very pretty. I'm very pretty, pretty right now. <laughs> okay, right now. Speaking of pretty, I just spent the weekend with my mom. She came out here celebrating her 80th birthday. Happy birthday, Doug's mom. That's right. That woman is incredible. Yeah. A lot of fun just to see her relaxing and being here and getting a good night's sleep. She doesn't sleep well. and That really bothers me. It's probably because you're such a pain in the ass and she always worries about you so much. Uh, That's true. The second part. Well, actually, the first part's true, too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's wild seeing our parents getting older before our eyes and the relationship that we have and how it changes and shifts dynamic. And you know, it's been interesting too, working with Drew, who you guys can hear on the Patreon, how his dynamic with his mom is shifting as he's getting older and not like the child anymore and being kind of the, the mid, but to actually see your parent getting older, that's really interesting. I mean, it, it's different. Yeah. And I imagine it's got to be weird for parents seeing their kids get older too. I mean, I know it is for sure watching my niece and nephew get older, but this hasn't happened yet. But when my parents can say that they have two kids in their 50s, that's going to be fucking weird. Wow. Right? Yeah. I mean, well, you've got you've got a good year and a few months, year and change to go. That's right. That's weird. I can't believe I have a parent in her 80s. That's 80. Wild. She's just 80 now. 80. Well, 80 is still the 80s. Whatever. Although, speaking of great things that we do, we start off, you guys will hear, um, if most of you have been listening, you know that Sarah was was born into a cult and got out of it in her teens. And she and I, we cut some stuff in the beginning, so she kind of comes straight in with something. But we were talking about the the cult leader, who she's mentioned before, so we can say here, 
uh, David Berg from the cult, I guess it's called The Family now, but it was Children of God. And it was just interesting. There were some things about her ex-husband mixed into this. So we clipped all that. But what you guys will hear is kind of where we pick up, you know, right off the bat. I don't think you'll be lost, but just to let you know, it, it starts off fresh off the heels of, of the two of us talking about, about that guy. Cool. So for your auditory pleasure, for your listening enjoyment. Listen, and we'll be back. And scene. Bye. <laughs> you didn't say bye. All right, fine. Bye. Thank you. <laughs> I personally can't physically hurt somebody. You know how we've talked about punching a bitch? There has never been a time in my life where I would actually, I might want to, but physically I'm not able to cause pain to another human no matter how much they deserve it. Bring it to the cult. It doesn't compute with me because at six years old, I knew this shit was wrong. At 13 year old, I wanted to get the fuck out. And still to this day, I will never understand somebody hurting somebody who is weaker than them or even not weaker than them just for shits and giggles. It doesn't make sense. Although your brother that kind of moved up the ranks and part of that was this was his way to survive. He found his yes. way to survive. There this is, is what he did. It was that idea of once you stop that, once it's no longer survival, then can you reflect and look at what you did or what you were a part of and take ownership? There are absolutely going to be consequences for actions, even if you make amends for those actions. Yeah. And I've had talks with myself to try and make myself more reasonable or more forgiving or try and understand the concept of, you know, evil human behavior when the person is not actually evil. There's a big conflict. I have related it to, let's say, an alcoholic, right? Their steps are to, you know, first accept that they're an alcoholic and then to make amends for all the things they've done. However, and this is how I rationalize it, alcoholics have a disease. They are not controlled by it, but it's a disease. Not, not all of us are alcoholics, so we can't understand. The people I'm dealing with from my past were fucking alcoholics. They were just listening to a psychotic, pedophile fucktard and agreeing with him. <laughs> That's, I mean, I know that makes it simplistic, and I do understand the behavior that cults employ to work on you slowly over time. I don't give a shit. I was six when I knew that was fucked up. So no, they made a decision every day to listen to this person. You don't, as a, as a functioning adult, listen to bullshit like that and, and do it. It's okay to do this. No, it's fucking not. It's not okay. And your human soul, your whatever, your adult brain, should tell you it's not fucking okay. They decided to do these things. And that makes them bad people, in my opinion. 
and it is not an educated one. It is coming from a very angry place. That's just it. You know, it is an angry place, justifiably so. And it's one that I, I really want to tap into that emotional place that you go to because that is emotional. It affects a lot of other things that I'm starting to see. Like when I get all hyper and cuckoo reaction to things, because really, if I step back and look at it, I, that reaction was probably inappropriate. But it's there, and I'm instantly on guard, and I'm instantly like, screw you guys, protection, walls, you know, and those are important things for me to understand. Yes, we can understand them. Yes, that's an intellectual pursuit. We can do that. And we have already. There's an emotional component that I'm going to really stress and try to dig into with you. Because the intellectual one, you can go there. I mean, you even said it. It's protection. It's a wall. And it needed to be there. Yeah. Why did I do that? To protect myself. But why am I still doing it now? Why were you doing it then? For protection. Okay. Emotionally, what was going on with you? <sighs> Plethora. I mean, at any given time, fear, for the most part, um, sadness, um, neglect. I mean, there's so many things that were going on, and I didn't want to feel any of those things. Right. And this is where we're going a little bit, if we can. Because this is in order to understand why am I still doing that now? Why am I doing that now? The protective thing and that thing? Again, intellectually, we can understand. You're doing that because you're feeling something that we can't tolerate. I don't want to feel this. Yeah. But not necessarily proportional, right? Anymore? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. You can get disappointed or abandoned by something and you're, you will, what you might consider overreact. That's in a sense, a trauma response. I know you don't like when I say that. I think you're getting a little more okay with that. I, uh, I'm getting a more okay with it. Because you've been traumatized. Yeah. Over a long period of time. Yeah. And that feeling that we talked about last week of being powerless. Yeah. Yeah. So why do you respond the way you respond? Why? Why? Because those feelings come back. Yep. And you have not been able to historically protect yourself in a way where you got to experience those feelings and process them. You went into straight protection mode, which you needed to do. So you'll see it in your kids. When they're threatened, you will be mama bear. You've done it with siblings for a long time. Yep. And you step in and you protect because that's what you do. But it's that emotional experience of it that's never really been processed and put, it's hard to say, at ease. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. And that's one of, I think, my biggest reasons for seeking this type of, you know, like really digging in, in therapy, 
because I'm no longer in a position where I am threatened. I could do something about it and I should do something about it. But my instinct is to shut down or get overly anxious about what could possibly be a simple, yeah, no, I'm not going to engage in this. <laughs> There's certain parts of my life where I can be like, no, I, you do your thing. I don't want to, I don't want to get involved, but there's other things that affect me. Like you said, with my ex-husband, with my children, where a simple response of, yeah, that's not how this is going to shake out <laughs> might be sufficient. Yeah. But that's not at all what's going on with me. I'm having a full blown panic attack. I'm not sleeping. I'm not eating. I'm freaking the fuck out every time. It's not healthy for sure. No, it's it's not, but it, it it's it's it is in part why we're talking. We're doing it to understand, as you've said, the data, where where this came from, you know, where where these wounds came from, why they're still here, what they're doing to me now. Anytime I did try to stand up for myself or change something, because I was always uncomfortable and always fearful and always scared my whole life. And when I did try to do something or change something or say something, the, the response and the punishment, and I am now understanding the trauma of that has to be a part of it. I need help to get out of here. Like when I was 13, three months, I was locked away and I was prayed over and demons cast out of me. I had people, you know, trying to rip my hair out of my head. And it was so traumatic that there's a part of me that thinks, well, I'm a fighter. I should have fucking tried it again. But then there's a part of me that remembers exactly what happened through that whole time and thinks like, wow, like I'm surprised I even walked out of that whole situation and only am experiencing the ripple effects of that trauma associated with putting my foot down or trying, <laughs> trying to put my foot down. I'm going to say something you might not like. I think you're too smart right now. What do you think I mean by that? I'm overthinking. Oh, I'm not feeling the emotion. I'm feeling the data. For good reason, though. I don't want you to think that it's a fault. You know, there's something maybe faulty in, in your system, in your processing that had to be there. So you didn't have to feel these things. Look, we can have a great half hour chat right now about the intellectual pursuits of data and what trauma means and how it affects you. And what we really need to honor is your emotional experience. And I keep stressing that. Yeah. That it's something that is super fucking scary to tap into. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I think powerless. I've, you've used that word on a number of occasions when I refer back to trauma. And I think that's the word that kind of hits home the most was the powerlessness of any situation I was in because I physically couldn't get out of that situation by myself. And 
every time something happens, and in fact, something's happening right now with my ex-husband, and my initial, my first feeling is just complete and total helplessness. Like, oh my God, here we go again. I'm just going to get walked all over. There's something about when I feel powerless that everything just kind of goes to shit. <laughs> and I, I don't like that. I don't like that because I'm very strong in every other aspect of my life until I feel like I'm the underdog. Underdog nowadays, back then, just the kid. You know, the kid with no education, no money, nowhere to go, no alternatives. Now it's the one, the parent with the less, you know, less money, the parent with less resources, the parent with more of everything else, but less of a way to come out on top, if that makes any kind of sense. It does. And, and it, it, again, speaks to powerlessness. Yep. He's got the power. Yep. I don't. He has the money. I don't. He has the resources. I don't. And let me be a cliched therapist for a second. How does that feel? Not good at all. It's actually the worst feeling I could ever describe to you. Like I haven't slept, I haven't slept in like, I don't know, three nights and it hasn't even started yet. This is just the prequel to what's going to happen. What should be a very simple conversation between two lawyers gives me so much anxiety even today, I talked to my lawyer and he said, okay, I'm going to send you your initial invoice for our retainer fee. Oh my God, Doug. I was like spinning around the room, like checking my credit cards to see how much money I have on there. Because it's, it's just that is powerlessness. That is powerlessness. I have no power because it is only based on what I can afford. Like my kids are going between a six-bedroom, six-bathroom mansion to my 1,500-square-foot, one-story condo, essentially, with popcorn ceilings. Like, that's, you know, that, that can't be healthy for children. Although, I know, environment, they love me, I get all of that. Can't be healthy for children. How is it for you? I don't care about money. I care about being able to live well enough for my children. We have a, a relationship where they understand what they get from me is different than what they get from their father, but there's, there's still always an element of like, what the fuck? <laughs> How is it okay that he is benefiting and living the life of a millionaire because of a business we started together when we were married. And here I am with nothing. How does that feel? Not good. Use, use, use your vocabulary. <laughs> use my words. Uh-huh. I mean, it feels unfair. It feels stressful. And it makes me feel like I'm less than somehow because I can't make that same kind of life for my kids on my own. 
unfair, stressful, lesser than. I can't do that. I just can't. And I'm a good person, and I try hard, and I think I do the right thing. And somehow... I'm always on the bottom. Yeah, sucks. And that's how it is. That's how it feels. And that's... You've been there many times, and I think one of your strengths is, you know pulling yourself up by the bootstraps and getting out there and doing your thing and, and getting it done and doing it. And some things you just cannot do. It is what it is, but it, it is upsetting to see that somebody, and especially such a bad human is the one that ended up benefiting from eight years of work that we put in together to start this company. That also upsets me. And, and it, I feel like that's a pattern with me too. You know, I make people's lives better and I get shit. And it's not just with my ex-husband. It's with so many people who have crossed my path over my lifetime. I give all my skills, all my time, everything I possibly can. They screw me over somehow. feels that way. It has to be my fault somehow because I don't know people who get treated that way as much as I do. If you really played my life from start to finish in, in fast motion, Doug, you would be like, holy shit, what the hell is wrong with you? <laughs> oh, man. I know. I'm a lot, Doug. I did warn you. Oh, no. My, my oh, man, is not that you're a lot. It's that you've been through a lot. Part of my style is I, I have that empathy piece, so I feel what you feel to a degree. I can still stay objective with it, which is why I can help you. It's a worrying pattern for me. It's almost like maybe set a trend for just accepting. I think a few weeks ago I told you my default mode is worst case scenario. Always. Right. right. And in fairness, I do choose happiness over money at every turn. I was in the position with my ex-husband where I could have been living in that $3 million house. He got on his hands and knees and begged me not to leave him. I could have stayed if that's what I felt I could live with, but I couldn't. So whose fault is it really? Well, right. And whose fault for taking care of yourself and living the way that you actually want to live? Otherwise, you would still be... An abused wife. Or... Or an abused child. Or fat, pregnant, and put in the basement. That's still somewhere in here. That, that pattern, that history. You could have, you could have fought them. Yep. You could have it stayed could have. there. You could have raised hell. I'm sorry you've had to go through all that. Thank you. I really am. You know, any one of those things is a lot. But <laughs> it's that, that idea that you get angry because something's unfair. But then I don't want to do anything about it because I'm too scared or anxious or whatever you want to call that feeling that I get where I'd rather just be like, you know what? I'm just going to, you know, carry on and just start again or just figure it out, which is what I've done my whole life. I do believe, though, that my, my trauma from childhood has to be the cause of a lot of this pattern, though. 
because no other person would just lay down and take it. What you're describing is, it, it, I mean, it's habitual, right? So all this stuff happens and I want to fight, but then when I'm told what it takes to fight, ugh, it's not worth it. It's too exhausting. It would take too much. You'll remember the old days of like cable TV, you know, yep. and when you call cable TV to cancel and that, that was all about making it so difficult that people wouldn't leave. <laughs> yeah, that's classic. That happens a lot in a lot of places to a lot of people. And it's happened to you a lot in your life. And it, it, it does beat people into submission, so to speak, where they'll just kind of go, ah, all right, fine. Yeah. And you have had a shit end of that one for a long time. And the part where we can go, and you're so strong and so resilient and probably so sick of hearing how strong and resilient you are to some degree. I'm proud of myself for how resilient I am, but I don't like that I have to be that resilient all the time. Sometimes I'm like, can I not just catch a fucking break? I, I have a whole belief in karma. Do good, get good, be good. People will be good to you. I do truly believe that, but no proof. From my life, that's all I've ever done. And it's never come back to me. Well, that is not. Scratch that. It has 100% come back to me in my kids, in my family, those types of things. But nothing that is quantifiable to what I'm doing in the sense of how I live, how hard I have to work, how hard I have to try, how strong I have to be. Like you always say, who was strong for you? Who was there for you? Fucking nobody. Ever. <laughs> no matter how good I am. Maybe next life. <laughs> Is there anybody there now that can be strong for you? Yes. I mean, in certain instances. Boyfriend is amazingly strong for me, except when it comes to financial stress. Boyfriend can be strong for me in many areas. Um, my brothers and sisters are wonderful, just as far as hearing me out. That's wonderful for my heart, but doesn't make a whole lot of difference in the actual, you know, life giving back anything to me. So no, I would have to probably go back and say no. <laughs> There's some sense of, I don't feel like anybody is strong enough for me, so I don't have to be, right? Exactly. And I don't want to wait till next lifetime for you. Yeah, I'd rather not either. Yeah, yeah. I want this lifetime. That's the one we're in. I think there's something we can intellectually understand. I want to move again to the emotional of this. That idea that, okay, boyfriend can be strong in some areas. My siblings can be strong in some areas. And it might be, there's not going to be any one person that's going to be strong enough for me so I can let my guard down and relax, period. Maybe what we need to find are moments, are places, places in time and places where you can be where I can let my guard down because this person is strong for me in this way at this time. 
if I'm going to one of my siblings' houses for something and I can trust that they're strong enough to clean up their own kitchen. So I don't have to do that. That will take some some conscious reminding while you're there. Boyfriend is strong enough tonight to take care of dinner, take care of the kids. All I need to do is take a bath and choose what we're watching on TV tonight. These kind of examples that I'm giving are places where you can practice letting go. What do you think of that as I say that? I have to definitely practice because my mind, again, always goes to the end, right? Are they going to do it right? Are they going to do it the way that I would do it? I don't know if it's distrust or if it's just straight up, I don't know how to just totally let go of something. What we're going to practice is in this moment, at this time, can this be good enough so I can just take a bath? So, uh, you know, if boyfriend draws my bath, is he going to use the right bath salts or so? I don't know how you yeah. bathe. <laughs> we don't have to get into that. But is he going to draw the bath right? Well, yeah. you might as well do it yourself because I'm going to fuck it up. Well, you know what? The water's going to be hot. I'll get in there. It'll be good enough. Or, hey, yeah, why don't I draw the bath and you take care of dinner and you do that? Are they going to get their vegetables as well as their protein? Are they going to get that? Are you going to do the dishes right? Are you going to load the dishwasher right? Like, it will be done. Maybe we'll have to practice this good enough so that I can let go of this in this one moment at this one time. Not blanket forever, all nights, just this moment. Okay. That's good. You know, and finding little places. It could just be a couple hours. I'm going to watch a couple of shows. I'm going to put my phone down. I'm not available to the kids. I just want to disappear for a while. So I can turn off that hypervigilance, which is hard for you. But we're, we're sort of trying to heal some of the, the trauma response. We're trying to show that I am safe, that it can be okay. Will it be the best dinner ever? No. <laughs> will it be a, a, a perfect bath? No. But will your kids get fed? Yes. Will you be in hot water? Yes. Yep. Right? And the trade-off in these cases is I didn't need to be hypervigilant the whole time. Yeah. And you're going you're gonna to be sitting in that bath going... <sighs> He forgot this, <laughs> right? Okay. All right. We can notice that. If you're like, wow, Doug, this was horrible. The kids ate and it, and it was good enough, but <laughs> oh man, it was so uncomfortable. That That's kind of a little bit of what I want to walk through. Yeah. We're trying to create that pathway in your head. It's not going to happen overnight. You go to one of your siblings' houses and not clean up, and like to walk out of there and have their kitchen a wreck. Ooh, that made me so uncomfortable, okay? It's, it's giving yourself those pathways and those experiences. If it's too traumatic for you, if it doesn't feel safe, then yeah, clean the kitchen, cook the dinner, draw your own bath. And I am actually working on and have been working on for a while. I mean, the cleaning thing. I feel like I've, I've made quite a lot of progress with that. I started with an hour 
where I wasn't going to jump up. Now I can go until bedtime. So once the kids are in bed, then I start going around the house. I still haven't got it to where I can go to sleep and be like, I'll handle it tomorrow. But, you know, who knows? Regardless, it's baby steps. Yes, absolutely. You know, what we're doing for you now is creating a new neural pathway in your brain. It's not used to this. It hasn't done this. It's going to be weird. It's going to be incremental. And we're doing it in very small places in small ways. Yeah. Because we're breaking some pretty big patterns. Yeah. And we're not waiting for your next lifetime for this stuff. <laughs> we're also not carrying your old life with us now so that it rules how your life is. I'm at that point in my life where I can see it. And I've always been at that point from an outside perspective. Like, okay, that reaction was a little extreme. Why? Why did I feel that strongly about something that, you know, probably could have been dealt with with an email or a text or something. And instead, I'm like, no, I need to, you know, talk to this person. I need to tell them how I feel. And I need to set up all these I don't know. There's a lot of things that I think I'm too far. I'm going to jump in and give you a little homework in this, in this case. Okay. Why am I feeling this? Why am I doing that? Well, I should have done that. In those moments, I would love if you could journal, not why am I feeling this, but what am I feeling? Okay. I'll do that. Stop asking why and start asking what. Okay. What am I feeling? If you keep looking at why, you will intellectually find out the answer. Okay. We already know that. But finding out what it is, how I feel, giving that a voice, that's going to inform us. That's okay. going to really heal. Sounds good. I like that. Yeah? Yep. Okay. Data. <laughs> it is data. And it's emotional data. And we're back. We are back. I must say, this must was you. a bit jarring to start out with. Okay, so her yeah, first thing yeah. was, I'm physically not able to cause pain no matter what someone does, no matter how much they deserve it. She doesn't understand how people can do that. And I'm like, right. okay, back up. It's funny, it never came up, but are you telling me that if literally someone was hurting your kid or had a gun to their head, you wouldn't fucking kill them. You wouldn't run over and like smash their head with a bat if you had to. Cause there was just absolutely never. And it, maybe it came up before, hmm. but there wasn't like a unless dot, dot, dot. Yeah. Well, okay. So a little clarification, cause of some of the things that we were talking about. Okay. She was listening to a podcast where somebody was making a point about in order to truly be a human being, you need to know that you're capable of evil. You can be a guard in Nazi Germany and just inflict torture on people. Okay, so it's the intentionally hurting somebody for your own pleasure, basically, that she was talking about. Yeah, not defending your honor or defending somebody else's well-being. It's how could somebody just do this to somebody, like unprovoked, without cause, why would somebody just do this? Okay, that makes sense. And that's what she referenced from the week before was when she said I could punch a bitch. She's like, I actually couldn't. Right, right. Okay, that makes sense. Because I was like, huh? And side note, like her saying this, 
you know, you and I, Mary, have talked about this, that she often goes into the intellectual pursuit. How could somebody do this? Explain this to me. What does this mean? I really didn't want to go into that with her intellectually. I wanted to go with, well, what's coming up for you? Because I know there's something else. I know. It made me want to punch you. Yeah, exactly. So I guess my question for you, big picture with this, is sure. what were you trying to get her to do or say? You kept saying, like, I think you're too smart right now. You're going to the intellect. Like, at what point would you know she was in the emotion? Only if she cried or if she showed sadness physically or... What would have been the point where you're like, okay, you're in the emotion now? What I was doing was wanting her to name the emotion. She doesn't have a very good emotional vocabulary to name her emotions, and she isn't very good at processing her emotions. She will often deny the emotions entirely and go into that almost robotic mode or that protective mode. So what I'm doing with her is seeing if we can name the emotion and express it and then get to processing it. And if we can, then having compassion for herself. Because if we think of her as little Sarah, who was going through what she was going through, she never got to express what she was really feeling. So she almost couldn't feel it. It wasn't allowed. I mean, she was literally, as she would say, beaten. Can we acknowledge those feelings, that they were feelings you had? And can we let them out so you're not still holding on to them? Sure. So you would say, like, what are you feeling? And she would say what she was feeling. She would say fear. She would say angry. She would say sad. What were you looking for in terms of processing that? What would that look like for you? Were you just meaning in each moment you kept saying like, okay, now come back. What emotion were you feeling? Or did you still feel like overall she wasn't naming it? I think she was scratching it. And part of what I'm doing is opening that up in a safe way so we can explore what she was back then and is currently feeling, to get her familiar with expressing the emotions, naming them and processing them, and to really honor what the experience was. What she's used to doing is just fixing it. Yeah, for sure. Right? And a lot of us will do that. Like, what did you feel? Oh, man, I felt horrible. So I just did this and then I was fine. Well, wait a second. You know, and I'm looking for where's the frustration tolerance? You know, how do we find something that eventually can soothe you in a way that you choose to be soothed, not in a way that just distracts you from the feeling or lets you carry on and handle it the way that she's been doing for most of her life. Yeah, I think at some point she was talking about her opinion about something and she was saying it was coming from an angry place and something about like, and her reaction, you know, I know my reaction's not appropriate. I was like, are you fucking kidding? Of course, it's coming from an angry place. That is also a healthy place. That anger is healthy and appropriate. It may be incongruent in certain situations, but not when she's talking about something like the ex-husband or she's talking about something about the cold. Of course, that's a totally valid and healthy reaction. Yeah. And we kind of got there in this session and kind of that moment that you're talking about. Like, I remember that because she was saying it when she thinks of these people in the cult that were doing these things. She's like, that makes them bad people, in my opinion. And, and my opinion's not an educated one. It's just coming from a very angry place. And that's where I didn't want her to dismiss herself by saying, oh, it's not educated. I don't really know. I'm like, well, hang on. That's an emotional place. And that's exactly what I wanted to tap into and where I wanted to go. 
Right. And then that, that came up to the trauma response. The trauma response and, and what we hit is the powerlessness. And that was a big one. And she was feeling it a lot with her ex. And she even brought that part up too. When we were talking about the cult and the feeling of powerlessness there and the anger there and looking at in real time right now, oh yeah, and I'm feeling that with my ex-husband. He's got all these resources and all these lawyers and the stuff is coming up and I feel this powerlessness and I get so angry. Like, yes. And what we're doing is allowing her to express those feelings, right? She never had that. So she had the similar feelings, but didn't have an outlet and didn't name it. She just had to handle it and pretend it wasn't there. Yeah. And at some point she said something about like, I'm no longer threatened. So now I can do the work. Like that's why I came to therapy because she's not physically in danger anymore. So now she can sort of start to do the work, which I thought was amazing. And and even saying when these issues come up and she has panic attacks, she doesn't sleep, she doesn't eat, and she's freaking out. I mean, first of all, I'm sorry, that sucks, you know? But saying that for a long time in her life, when she tried to do something different, her punishment was horrible. I forgot she had mentioned in the beginning about when she was 13, and I guess she tried to leave, and then they all put her, locked her in some place for three months and would just like try to take the demons out and try to pray. And it was fucking horrible. Routinely, you speak up about something and you get locked away until you get right again. It was so horrible. And you're right. I mean, she was saying, well, yeah, that's partly why I'm seeking therapy and digging into this because I'm not threatened anymore. I'm not in that position. She even said my instinct in those situations is to just shut down or get overly anxious. And that's where I'm walking through this with her so that we can look at it without without shutting down. You know, that's why I kept going after it. Like, well, let's not shut down. Let's go to that emotional place. And that overly anxious, part of when she gets anxious is she's going to look for a solution. She's going to intellectualize. Like, well, let's not do that. Let's stay with what this is. Because she's so used to not staying with it. Or maybe... What you just referenced, Mayor, like her getting locked up. And I think we even mentioned it at some point, she and I, in, in, in several sessions, that sitting alone or being alone with those thoughts, why she doesn't want to meditate, is terrifying because it brings her back in some ways to being locked up and being deprived of a lot of her senses and a lot of her natural just empowerment. I mean, she had none. It was all stripped away. Yeah. And it sounds like the concept of powerlessness, especially still continues talking about her ex. And um, oh my God, at some point she referenced popcorn ceilings. I'm sure a ton of our listeners do not know <laughs> right. what that is, but I was laughing so hard. I was like, oh my God, <laughs> what's wrong with the little asbestos? Uh-huh. There it is right there. You have them? In one room in the house. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> but so part of this, I was thinking the money thing with her ex, and then she was saying like, I choose happiness over money, which of course I totally get. And then at some point it was, it was about like how no one else can help her. And then you talked about her boyfriend, I think it was, and him helping. And she was like, no, like he can't help with that. And then her siblings. And she was like, no, they can't. And it definitely to me sounded like it kept coming back to a money piece that 
life would be so much easier for her if she had more money. Those two are not mutually exclusive. Saying I choose happiness over money and life would be easier if I had more money. I get that those are not mutually exclusive. But I think it was interesting how when it kind of came down to it, because you started talking about, okay, the separate piece, but sort of if she, what would happen if she let her not clean up the siblings kitchen? What would happen if she let her boyfriend run her bath or whatever? But I sort of felt like those were two separate things. Sort of. I mean, the money thing, first of all, I don't agree with. I would rather have half the happiness and twice the money. But that's just me. (laughs) Um, I think for her, she's just, we hit the powerlessness piece a lot. So she was kind of showing that money is power. They're equal to each other in a way. Well, for sure, especially because with her ex's money, he has all the lawyers, he has all the stuff to control the kids. And that's fucking horrible. So I feel like that's what she was referencing. Sort of what she was saying is like, well, next lifetime, I guess. And that's sort of like, yeah, you know, maybe I'll be born into a rich family instead, or maybe I'll have money in another, like, oh, hang on a second. Yeah, I know. That made me so sad. Yeah. And I literally said, I I don't want to wait till next lifetime for you. Let's dig into this. This is the lifetime we're in. And the idea and the connection for me was there's something about that same hypervigilance, that same, I need to do it all. I can't let somebody else do it. So I will do everything all the time for everybody. And that's not enough because it's too much. She also said this a few times. She was like, I mean, my trauma for my childhood has to be part of the pattern. I'm like, yes, there is no question about that. Can we just like agree with that? She questions it still. I'm like, of course it is. Huge part of it. I like that she's acknowledging that. It's one thing to acknowledge it. It's another to like really take that in. And when she said things, even said, let me be the cliched therapist. How does that feel? And and keep coming back to that, which I knew you wanted to punch a Doug. And that's okay. (laughs) I get it. (laughs) But I get it. It serves a purpose. Right. At one point she said, yeah, that can't be healthy for children. Like, okay. And how is it for you? She's still trying to see it in others. And her just saying, you know, that one exchange that I loved, it's like, well, how does that feel? She goes, not good. Use your vocabulary. She goes, oh, you mean like use my words? Like, yeah. (laughs) And then she described it a little more. My reaction at some point, just going, oh, man. And she went, yeah, I know. I'm a lot. Like, I know. Oh, I warned you. I'm a lot. I'm like, oh, that's something I would say. Right. And I don't know if you remember my response to her when she said that was, you're not a lot. You've been through a lot. Yeah. She needs to hear that more. She does need to hear that more. And that idea that she's been through a lot and she will quickly like make a joke or say something about that. And it's that that sort of idea of like that concept of being beaten into submission, literally in her case. And I loved, I loved that she said, well, I'm proud of myself for how resilient I am, but I don't like that I have to be that resilient. Totally. Yeah. And because it's always for her. I mean, okay. It's 99% of the time is her being resilient, right? Which sucks. Yeah. And like she said, can I just catch a fucking break? Right. Right. Mary, you just nailed it. Like, well, 100% of the time. Okay, maybe 99% of the time. I want to look at that 1%. And that's when I said, like, what about your boyfriend? Can he make you dinner? Can he draw the bath? It was so funny when you were saying that, because in my mind, all I could picture was (laughs) this, like, 
lukewarm fucking not <laughs> not even horrible bath, but just not like if I'm going to take a bath, I want it to be amazing. And if me doing it makes it that much better than him doing it, I would rather me do it. And the kitchen, the siblings like a little different, but let's say we were cooking at my house and siblings were like, okay, I'll clean up. And you said, okay, it may not be perfect, but in my mind, I'm like, but can they do something else for me? <laughs> like something that I'm bad at. I think it's sort of like that navigating, hey, I want to do something nice, draw a bath. What kind of bath do you want? Oh, you want bubble. Okay, cool. And it might be, oh, why don't you draw a bath for yourself? I'm going to boil up some water to give you a touch up in about 20 minutes and I'll keep the kids out of there so you can go do your thing. A lot of the time it's, oh my God, that's so sweet. It's a thought that counts. I'm not going to tell him that it's not perfect or whatever, which yes, but then I'm also like doing it for them. Exactly. And that's not what you want, you know? And that's sort of like saying to her, who's there for you? And she's like, me? Fucking nobody ever, no matter how good I am and no matter what, like, okay. So we need to kind of scratch at that and introduce that. And even saying like, these are some new neural pathways that we're going to try to carve out and you're not used to it and it's not going to go great. And we're just going to do small versions of it. And I even said, we're not waiting for next lifetime for this. We're going to do this right now. And I love that she tagged, you know, the end of the session with like, yeah, I like that. It's data points. It's emotional data. Yeah. I think you said, stop asking why and start asking what. And I was like, ooh. Oh, yeah. Good one. It's getting kind of practical. You know, that's a little bit of the cognitive behavioral therapist in me. Like, let's go for what? Stop going for why. We've done a lot of that. Let's do the what. And what can we do? And I'm really hopeful that she will allow herself to let go a little bit and relax a little bit. And I can give you the spoiler because down the line, she has been doing some of that. I love seeing the growth in her. And it's it's something that's pretty amazing when somebody really does start shifting their neural pathways and start shifting their patterns. And that pattern of like, yep, nobody ever does this for me, no matter what. And it's always like this. And to allow yourself to drop your guard more and more is pretty amazing. Totally. We were talking about last week about her tone and inflection and all that was different. This, I felt a little of both, right? It was half last week and half normal. It was a combination, like some casualness and swearing and a little looser. And then there was also some curtness. Yeah. She was casual in some places and loose in some places. And then a little more tense or tighter or enunciating. And yeah, it's cool that she has these different gears now. It isn't just all that enunciation, robotic thing that she mentioned before. It's, I think it's not a stretch to say we're actually helping her find her voice and her true voice, not the voice that she wants to have or the voice that she needs to have to survive, but the voice that's really her. Right. That's never really been able to be there. Yeah. And it seems like she's starting to find a really good middle path. As we've been talking, I was thinking, like, what is it you want from her when you talk about the emotion? I think it's almost being a little softer, talking without the defense being there, maybe. The word that I use a lot is guarded. Can we be a little less guarded? It's sort of like keeping your guard up. It's a tense way to be. You're constantly 
looking for the threats. And I love that she even said, yeah, I can do this in therapy. Part of why I want to is because I'm not in that place where I'm constantly being threatened. Great. It's coming out unconsciously for her and consciously that she doesn't want to be on guard for that threat all the time. I know. Too bad her douchebag ex is still... Sorry, ex, I don't know you, but you sound like a douchebag. (laughs) Right? If she's constantly being triggered and tried with him, the work that we're doing is going to help relieve some of that stress when that happens because it's not going to be touching on everything she's been carrying around. And eventually, maybe she'll get to the place where it's not just going to roll off because he's still doing stuff that's pretty infuriating. It just won't charge her so much. Exactly. You guys are doing good work. Thank you. We're, we're, we're trying. Well, no, we're doing. Let me practice my own preaching. We are doing good work. Thank you, Meredith. You're welcome. And we will continue to do good work for you guys and each other. And... <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, you guys. Well, we will be back. Healthy, happy, and another H word that I can't think of because Meredith's booster shot is doing a number on my brain. I know. But we will be back with you shortly. And uh... bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>